everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Lives. Busy Living Lives. Busy Living Lives. And it's episode 284 with Jennifer Saginaw. I'm going to go more into that after I talk about our sponsor, which is Soberlink. As we all know, addiction is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Only 10% of people that are afflicted with addiction get treatment. And Soberlink strives to erase the stigma of alcohol addiction. And their remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people be more accountable to their sobriety. And I teamed up with Soberlink to develop a um, resource guide called Tips for Busy Living Sober for those in recovery. Visit www.soberlink.com and download the resource. And if you or someone you know can benefit from accountability for alcohol recovery, you can find a form on that page and sign up for a $50 off code. And I'm really excited because not only is Jennifer Saginaw like for one, she's like accomplished in everything she does. She wrote a book. She's been through a lot of hell, like a lot of us in sobriety have. But I've known Jennifer for, I'm not going to say how many years, because it's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer and I went to college together in Washington, D.C. And um, we've remained friends and it's awesome. And I'm really excited that she's on. And most importantly, that today she has 12 years of continuous sobriety. <laughs> Thank Congratulations. You. Thank it's you. amazing. Thank so you, tell buddy. us, what was yeah. it like? Tell us what it was like. What was like, uh, I mean, I had a lot of fun times, you know, as you know, I definitely yeah. had a lot of fun times. So I'm definitely not someone that, you know, is going to say, oh, it was horrible. And, you know, all these things, because I had just, just really a great time you know, until I did it, you know, until the right. end when it was like, I was relying on the prescriptions and, you know, it was on just so many pharmaceuticals, um, just such a cocktail every day, just to get through the day, just to wake up, you know, just to like ease the, the daily anxiety, you know, and then, um, and then of course I would need something to concentrate and then I would need something to calm down from that. And just like the whole, like, you know, moving and shifting of like uppers and downers, you know, just sort of like, help me just get through like moment by moment. Um, and that gets very exhausting and very hard on your body, of course. And, um, you know, finally in 2010, I checked into medical detox. And I've been on this road ever since. And it's been a road. And I love that you said that you had so much fun because I think that one of the promises that they say, at least in the program that we participate in, they mm -hmm. say that we're going to have this promise that we aren't going to regret the past. Right. And right. It's so it's like, we had fun until we didn't have fun. And right. you had kind of a crazy background, which is now being talked about on a &E. and your book that you wrote playground right? Right. And so what was that like? I mean, I mean, again, you know, I had a blast. I really did. I mean, if you're going to grow up and do drugs and run around and party, you definitely have to, or you, know, you, you have to do it at the Playboy Mansion, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was insane. What am I going to, I mean, it was so fun. It was like a kid literally in the candy store, you know? 
<laughs> except for the the candy turned into jars of quaaludes and jars of you know amphetamines and you know so many other other things and sleeping pills and Xanax addiction and um and all that stuff and so of course like over time um it, it's just your body can't keep up with your mind and my mind just really started getting to me it's like you hear like they talk about you know in recovery is that negative self-talking mind and like my mind started turning on me and it's like I would become like just so paranoid and untrusting of everyone and just like really second guessing just everything it's like this negative self-talking voice in my own voice that like basically speaks to me and I start you know you start believing that voice instead of like that godlike voice of like you know trying to connect with people trying to get out there in the world and get up in the morning and show up every day and you know it's just like what you talk about like that contrary action when I want to just like sleep all day and do nothing and not wake up instead it's like you know get up and like face the day and get out of your space you know I mean I'm always inclined to isolate and I know that's just a horrible thing to do you know it's like I have to kind of like put one foot in front of the other sometimes and just really trust in, you know, connecting with other people and finding the commonality, you know, the commonality of interest, you know, the, the things that bond you with other people, the, you know, the similarities, not the differences. And, and that's, that's and that's key, right? So, and I, I think, think that key. when you talk about growing up in the Playboy Mansion, which you did, it wasn't like it was foreign to you. Like, that's what you just did. It wasn't like you normally went to like synagogue or you went to church and hung out like with youth group. It was like, no, we went to the place. <laughs> that's your dad. That was your dad's best friend. And of course right. you're going hanging with dad and he's like, well, let's go over and see Hugh. And that's just what you did. Right? right. I mean, it wasn't strange. No, definitely not strange. I mean, when I, when I landed in college, as you know, that was strange, you know, landing in Washington, DC with a bunch of Southern bells and people from the Midwest who, you know, were from these like very normal families who sat around and had dinner together every night and played board games. That was odd to me, you know? So I was, I had a major culture shock when I landed in, you know, in college, because I just really didn't relate to anyone. And I didn't under, you know, I had a veil of like smoke and darkness sort of like circulating my aura. And it's taken a long time to sort of sift through that and, you know, kind of get through the layers and, you know, really understand, like get through like the anger and the rage and the blaming other people and, oh, I'm a victim and I'm not a victim. I had fun, you know, I mean, I had a lot of fun and I had a lot of fun partying, but it was just enough already. You know, I reached a point where it was just taking over my life and I really wasn't accomplishing as much as I wanted to. And I didn't feel good, you know, and just that, my mind just, I, I feel like for me, it's always been, I would, you know, of course, alcohol is a given, but the pharmaceuticals were just something that I always grew up around. And it was just a go-to instead of dealing with my emotions or turning to like a spiritual solution. Like who wants to be bothered with that? I just want a quick fix. You know, I want to, 
I want the fast paced lifestyle. You know, I don't want to work for anything. You know, I don't want to, <laughs> I want it to happen now. You know, I want answers now. I want things to happen now. I want it on my time. You know, I want to, you know, instead of learning, which has been a slow process, you know, how to tap into that sort of universal law of attraction and like really, you know, you have to give to receive and really trying to like, you know, work hard towards things to accomplish things. And that's that hasn't been easy. And yeah. don't you think it's starting to like yourself? Because we don't like ourselves, right? We, as you talked about that inner voice, because we sit here and we're like critical about, oh, I was like this. And I'm sure landing in, you know, Washington, D.C. with all these brick buildings and it's so traditional and you're like, where am and I? How, yeah. Where am I? I just landed in right. an alter universe. Um, and right. how old were you when you started to drink or in use? 11. I'd say like 10, 11. I definitely started taking sleeping pills at like 10. Um, and then really started hardcore at like 11 with like the, the benzos and sleep and sleeping pills and alcohol and pot. And then by like 14, 15, I was totally into like blow and, you know, everything else. I mean, I was definitely living a very fun, fast-paced life at a very young age. And um, what happened is I didn't really emotionally mature, you know, and I never really took the time to build that spiritual connection um, with anything outside of myself. And having grown up with just everything was based on ego, like image and how things look and everything's so beautiful and glamorous. And, you know, I really never took that time to feel good about myself about anything because I never accomplished anything. You know, I used tutors and I cheated my way through this and schmoozed my way through that. And I never took the time to actually learn how to do anything and, you know, accomplish something step by step where I actually feel good about it in the end. Now things are taking a little bit too long. <laughs> well, it's been crazy, the COVID and everything else. But you know, it's you said something earlier it, that it's um, you know, it's a process, mm -hmm. this whole thing. It takes time to mm -hmm. find that higher power and realize, yeah. you know, when you, you know, and you had said something earlier about like we have this image that we personify to the world, especially with social media, that you know, everything's absolutely perfect in my life and people like see these snippets of our life like it's a little right. little like photograph or video that's two seconds right. long and then they assume that your world yeah. is just on fire when yeah no reality, I do the same thing with other people it's hard to yeah. not do that of course because you're just you, you, it's like oh look at their amazing life it's hard you know like I'm always like comparing like my insides with someone outside like I feel like shit or I feel bad about myself or not good you know things aren't going how I want them to go or I'm not living where I want to be living and I'm not doing what I want to be doing, you know, and of course I'll, I'll you know, comparing I, that compare and despair, you know, always like, oh, I'm comparing myself. And then I start just going down that rabbit hole of like, oh, like, why isn't, why aren't things better? And like, you know, just getting down on myself, you know, and that's something that I still, you know, really have to challenge myself not to do and to stay into action instead. And I think that it's really hard for everybody that's out there today. As every right. woman that's out there, we're like, well, we aren't skinny enough. I don't have this done. I don't have that done. Everybody's life right. is perfect. And I think because when we were young, 
we didn't ever have to think about these things. We're like, somebody went to a party, who gives a shit if we weren't invited? <laughs> like, right. you know? And now it's right. plastered all over the place. Right, true, that's true. And it hurts our psyches, yeah. I think. And especially with getting sober, you know, because I don't know that sobriety always has the best connotation, unfortunately. And as I mentioned on that sober link, like they're trying to change the stigma as well as I am, because I think that so many people are afflicted with this disease. And um, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. I think the fact that we're sober is like the best part. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely a move in the right direction, of course. I think that so many people, it's like you're running and escaping from so many things. And it's hard. Who wants to slow down and face their demons inside? I mean, that sounds like a nightmare, of course. Like, who would want to really do that? You know, it's like so much more fun and easier to just avoid um, dealing with ourselves by creating all these different distractions. And that's kind of what my book Playground is about, is like how we all like, you know, create these distractions in order to not deal with our demons. And through that process, it's like, you know, we start to peel the onion and start to really understand our own personal playground. You know, for me, it happened to be obviously the Playboy Mansion, but anyone right. can relate to that whole concept, which in, in their own experience, in their own life. Were you sober when you wrote Playground? I was not. No, I was not. No. So now it's like you're going back and you're looking at it 12 years later and you're looking at what you wrote. What do you think about it? Do you love it? Are you excited? No, I mean, it's, I feel like because I was not sober, it's like more of the same. It's like, oh, partying and the partying and the partying. And then I come back from college and there's more partying, you know? So it's just, I think that, I think that now when I'm looking back on it, that um, if I would, if I would have changed it, it would be to have some sort of resolution. Um, it's just like more of the same, you know, there's no closure. I guess that's what it is. There's no closure. There's no like, well, what did you learn or where's the, you know, the higher awareness, you know, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, it needs to have some kind of like ending or closure or lessons learned, that sort of thing. And obviously because I wasn't sober, it was just like more of the same. Like I was just parting and parting and more parting. And, you know, it was just all about the distractions. I was in it. And now that I've been out of it, you know, I started another book called Medicated, but I haven't finished it. And I'm almost, I need, I, I just like, I've been so busy just like working and just like life and just like, I want to, of course, I would love to get back to that and finish that because I think that that would be amazing. You know, like, you know, it's like waking up, you know, and it's like life after growing up in a playboy. Man. <laughs> you know? Well, I think it would be so intriguing for people because they do, they think that all this stuff is so glamorous, but when you really sure. think about it, you know, it was fun. It was a great time. You don't regret it. You had amazing times, but then you realize, you know, 12 years ago, you wake up and you like that last day, was it anything like amazing? So if somebody's listening, Not like those what? last days now, cause no. I was like doing Ritalin and it was like, I was up three days in a row. I mean, and I, you know, some of these pharmaceuticals, they're like, they're like pharmaceutical meth, you know, it's really right. gross. It's like, they say, oh, ADD, but it's like, it, you know, they're giving you stuff that keeps you up. And well, I mean, I obviously wasn't using it appropriately either, but um, it's just a lot of these pharmaceuticals are just like, just so bad for you and so highly addicting. And 
Um, definitely checking into medical detox was a really good decision. Um, I did not plan on being sober just because I went to medical detox. I was just trying to come down and not use so many, you know, Xanaxes and this and that. So I, I, my plan was never to like go get sober and go to meetings and just like, it was just never, that was just, I never saw that for myself, you know, because I really enjoyed the party life. You know, it was just part of my identity. It was just something I always felt very comfortable with. Um, I just always looked at these little pharmacy, these pills as like my friends, you know, I could just put them under my tongue and they could dissolve. I didn't need water. I didn't, you know, I was very like, I can put them in my pocket. Like it was just like, it was like candy. It's just like, candy, right. you know, and it was, it's, it, it's tough to give that up and to turn to like a spiritual solution and, or turn to friends and turn to a different support group, you know, and to try to really find something else to connect with, you know, so that you don't connect always with your, like with this mind that when it's not in a, a, a spiritual or in a, you know, in a balanced sort of state, you know, and that's the challenge is not turning to myself, but turning to, to, to people outside myself. And when you did that, because when and you not just my- sorry, I, I said that wrong, not just people outside myself, right? Of course, because right. that's like codependency, but like turning to God or a higher power. That's that's what I meant to say. So when not you turning went- to other people, except okay, for, so for support. I want to ask you something. So you went to medical detox and how long did you stay there? I stayed in medical detox for two weeks. Um, okay. I got picked out of that place because I got in a fight with someone and then I had to go to another place and um, finish that detox. And then, you know, so, I mean, rehab really for like a month. And then I went to sober living for like 10 months. And that was like, oh my God, that was like- I know, how did you deal with that? That was brutal. I mean, honestly, like I just I was- thought my life was over. Over, my life was over, yeah. So I went from living in like this full service building, you know, running these really fun, like high state poker games and like living a very fast paced lifestyle, um, you know, driving a nice car and a great building with a doorman and ballet and to living like downtown LA, you know, with a backpack and like a bus pass, you know, for like a year and taking the bus everywhere to go meet my mom and my sister and stepfather and like my home mom's side of the family. Like their country club, I'm taking like the bus, like (laughs) with a backpack, like, and I lived like that for a year and it really was hard, but it was grounding. I mean, it was humbling. Um, And I just, you know, really tried to keep one foot based in that sort of like grounding reality since then you know for the past 12 years you know and to I mean I have to say kudos to you for staying there because so many people would be like I'm out I'm done I did this I I mean and I'm not it was tough I was in there with girls in prison you know that were like I mean it was like it was brutal because I my personality was like I was not humble. I was coming off years of partying at a very glamorous, you know, internationally known setting. And here I am like in medical detox and rehab and sober living for a year. You know, I mean, it was like with nothing, you know, with like no car, you know, no, no real money, nothing. I, I remember my mom and stuff, my stepdad was like, 
you know, here's a backpack, like find your way out or something like that. Like it was, it was gnarly. Oh yeah. Oh my God. It was gnarly. Oh. And I remember calling all the guys from my poker game. Like, can I start a game again? As I'm taking walks around like the rehab in the silver <laughs> living, right? Trying to get a game going, you know? <laughs> and I got a game going and I told my mom and stuff. I told my mom and they were just like, if you go back to that lifestyle, you're like, we're not going to be there for you. We're just, you know, like, we think you need to change your life and change your lifestyle and blah, blah, blah. And I had a decision to make. Do I go back to that fun, fast-paced lifestyle? Or do I, you know, do I welcome my sister, my mother, my stepfather, you know, like back into my life? My sister had kids then. I wanted relationships with my nephews. And it's, I had a decision to make. You know, I clearly made the wrong decision, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was going to say. <laughs> I know. I made the boring decision. But no, I, I made, you know, I made a decision because I wanted a relationship with my family, you know, and um, and it was, and it's been tough. You know, I've had to work like every step of the way to, to, to really build my life back. But I'm sure your mom, like, I'm, your mom must have been really strong because I'm sure broke her heart just looking at you doing this stuff and working so hard. And, you know, she's strong and she loves you that much that she's like, keep going, keep going. You can do this and look at where yeah, you are. Yeah, like today slow and steady wins the race. I think she gave me that book. It's yeah. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but you now it's like, do you chase your recovery like you did, like you did your drugs back in the day? I wouldn't say I chased it like that. No. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, I am grateful to be sober. I'm, you know, I do a lot of different things like hiking and I need to walk and I need to check in with other people and I need to be there for other people and help other people and ask other people how they're doing and try and, you know, not think about myself and really be of service at times when I can and really challenge my mind, you know, to, you know, to, to try to turn to God, to turn to that higher power instead of turning to my own mind. And that is something that's a daily practice. But you take time to leave the craziness of LA and you go out to Ohio. I know you do that and you go hiking. I love that you do that. So nature is a big part of your recovery. Nature is a big part. I think that just learning how to reconnect to that kid that I was like that, you know, before I got into that fast paced lifestyle, I used to love to run around the neighborhood with one of those like igloo things around. I can't remember what they're called, where they hold water, yeah. you know, like where, you know, like that camping thing, yeah. you know, like I was the canteen, very, the canteen, like canteen. The canteen. Yeah. thank you. And I would wear that around crossbody and run around the neighborhood. And I was an outdoor little tomboy kid. And I, you know, miss that person, that spirit, that young spirit that was very free and happy. And the last time I remember that was fifth grade. So I had to really tap into who was I in fifth grade, you know, and who, where did that person go? And how do I, you know, reconnect with that spirit? I love that. And you're finding it in nature and with your little baby puppy right? Yes. He's been a godsend because, you know, in recovery, it's also easy to, you know, it's like, you don't have anything else. It's like, you want to turn to something and I don't want to turn to, 
I don't want to turn to people, you know, you could turn to people and that could become just like a drug, you know, and I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to, you know, I got out of the gambling business. I don't want to, you know, there's some, you're, the addiction can obviously take many forms and it doesn't necessarily always have to just stay alcohol and drugs. It could be sugar. It could be, you know, anything. It could be anything shopping. that feels good. Shopping, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Relationships, anything. And so it's just, you know, definitely having my dog has been great because I can go anywhere and I feel like I have company and it's, you know, he's such a great companion and that's been, that's been incredible. So. Cause you're learning to balance on life. And I think that it's, you know, the pills are been so big in our society today. And the fact that you've gotten out of it and being where you came from, I really think you need to write a sequel. I think I you know. need to write a sequel and tell everybody there what was it was someone like. we went to college with. She was such a good editor. Her name was like, I wish I could get her number again. She was so Who? Good. I need like an editor to help me finish. Who was the editor? Who I was know it? I can't remember her name. Her name was like, I don't know. I'll think about it later. But. Okay, so we're going to have to tag this on the Mount Vernon because um, now I just told everybody where we went, which is now on by GW. So we really it's are now owned by George Washington. Washington. So technically, we can say George Washington. Exactly. Because <laughs> now when you go to our campus, it's like gorgeous and it says GW University. Have exactly. you been back? I haven't been back. I have not you been back. I'm so back. surprised they never invite me back. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to go on a little field trip. I think we that should go fun. on a we need to do fun. that. Yeah. I, yeah. Let's go do back it. to the dorm room and, you know, <laughs> refilm the whole thing <laughs> and get everyone, you know, it's so funny. I just remember someone looking me up and down, like, and they turned to me as I was like smoking a cigarette, like out the window and was like, oh my God, where am I? Like I was in culture shock. And I just remember them looking at me and being like, so what's your story? Right. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm in the preppy land with all these girls. Right. They all have their pearls on and they're right. all ready to go. And you're like, I remember you pulled up in your red car and you were like, here I am all in black. <laughs> and everybody's like, who is she? And it's really nice to see your smile. And I can see that you, you know, you're lighter today. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's what sobriety gives us. And it's like when we fall in love with ourselves again and we can go back to being that kid that when kid. you were in fifth grade. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, like, and waking up the next day going, I really like myself and I didn't do anything that I have to be embarrassed about. I don't have to look over. At least for me, I was always like, who's that? How'd you get here? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. And it was a crazy life, but it was fun. And here we are today. And I just want to say congratulations again on 12 years. You're awesome. I know. Thank you so much. It's and so you have to come back on again. I'm so proud of you also for having this podcast and just really like trying to reach other people and help other people. And that's what it's all about. That, it I really mean, is. Because people think like us, are like, how could they have been addicts or what were they like? Because now their life is all, and we're just like, oh my gosh, we've been through hell. It was a lot of fun. We have crazy stories. Right. I have to tell you, I went back to, to our school at one point and these girls, they were GW students and they were like, so when it was Mount Vernon, did you girls like ever go to Georgetown? I was like, 
Like, when were we on this campus? <laughs> right, right. It's so funny. Yeah, I mean, it was so easy. We used to, I mean, we used to break in and get all the, the exams, the answers to the exams, because it was like being in like a dorm. I mean, it was like a little, it was a private boarding school. That's what it, it was. was. It, it was, was a private school. boarding school. <laughs> right. And no one was there at night. There was no supervision at night. It was like a free-for-all. I mean, it was yeah. insane. So it was a different, but because I was not used to those types of people, you know, I was very uncomfortable. I'd never met a Southern Belt before. I mean, not like that. I I'd never met anyone conservative. <laughs> like, so it was definitely a culture shock. And how'd you get but, there? But I'm still friends with some with so many of the, you know, international students that I did meet there. And that was that's pretty incredible. So I want to ask you a question. How did you get there? A girl from LA, how did yeah. you get to a school? Like somebody who's out there and they're like, wait a minute, she grew up in like Beverly Hills and she, how did she get to this little all girl school? And the heart I didn't of the district of Columbia? You know, my grades were, I never went to school. I never went to class. And so my grades are like, eh, you know, and so I didn't want to go to like community college. I knew I needed to get out of Los Angeles. I needed to get out of Los Angeles. And so that was the first priority. And I got into like another school in New York called Pace and like these mm -hmm. smaller schools, you know, right. and it was between New York and DC. And I went to visit DC and I think I knew um, like someone who lived in DC and um, I don't know, I just thought it would be a good experience just to get away. And just, I really just wasn't thinking clearly I needed to just get out of my environment. And, and um, yeah, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't realize, you know, what it would, what it would be like, that it would be like boarding school. So, yeah. and I didn't realize what a culture shock it would, it would be. And it, I mean, I was really, yeah, I remember just feeling so out of place and not feeling like I fit in and no one wore black and, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, very weird. It was just a very weird, I'd never been in such a conservative like environment before. That's really what it is. I had never been in a conservative environment like that before. But you endured it, but you did, you endured it. I endured it, yes, by yeah. going out at night and going to tracks and going to clubs and yeah. going to after hours and getting into the party scene in DC. And that's what I did. I did what I started searching, you know, with all the other lost souls in the nightclubs. Like I did what felt comfortable because that's the only thing I knew was to party. Right. So that's the answer. That's it was party. Was comfortable. Right. Right. Not so feeling. Tracks all, not feeling, escaping, yeah. just escaping. And so I met, I gravitated towards other people who would party and then I would just be out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And now here you are. And there, is there a show going on that you have something to do with on A&E right now? Yeah, no, I'm in a few of the episodes. Hang on. I just have to sing. I'm sorry. I wanted to close that. Um, I'm in a few of the episodes, I think like one in nine. Um, and yeah, I know I spent a lot of time, um, creatively consulting on, uh, this doc series. In fact, they used a lot of the content, um, from my book and from the missing pages of my book that were never published by HarperCollins. Um, I actually wrote my own doc series transcript, um, that I provided, you know, to them and just a lot of my written material, um, 
is all throughout uh, the doc series. You'll see the themes and the whole, so many of the concepts like the training of the girls and the system of the black, you know, the blackmail system and the system beneath the system and all these things of the dark underbelly that I've written like a TV series about. And, you know, I have so much content that I've been working on for the past decade. And, um, you know, I didn't really think I would see so much of it. Um, you know, in this show, to be honest. So that's been a little, uh, little, a little shocking just because I'm not given any sort of like creative acknowledgement. So it's been a little brutal. <laughs> it's been brutal, but you don't pick up a drink over it and you yeah. don't pick up a pill yeah. over it, you know? Right. And that's, right. that's like the huge part. It's like, and you're, you were vulnerable to be able to do that. Like to show us. I, I mean, I was yeah. definitely re-triggered because I mean, to have somebody come into your life and talk about, you know, so many things that you never really, I mean, sure, it's one thing to write about it and just write about it and then put it out there and see who can connect with it. That's really different than I think talking about it, like with family members. And, you know, I didn't really talk about it with, um, with my, with family members, you know, I haven't really, so many of the things in, um, in the doc series, I've never discussed with, you know, my mom or my sister or, my grandmother or anyone in my family. I mean, you know, I, I just haven't, I just kept it inside for all this time. So, you know, the director of this A&E doc series was somebody that I opened up to and who seemed really like somebody I could trust. And I really told her a lot of things that, you know, that I hadn't told really anyone else. And I did that because I did think they were going to highlight my story and my book and really um, acknowledge me and my creative contributions. You know, I didn't really think it was going to be like the Holly Madison show. You know what I mean? Right. Like I had no idea. I didn't even know this was going to be a Me Too doc. I had no idea. Oh my God. Yeah. And so that was like shocking in and of itself because, you know, I, because I am sober and I'm recovery, you know, I have come to a place of forgiveness uh, for my father and half and anything that I might've experienced as a child. I mean, I don't harbor ill will or resentments over that, you know what I mean? So I didn't produce my own doc series based on the same content where I was offered hundreds of thousands of dollars for that because I didn't want to do like this, you know, me too doc. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. And um, I want to tell my stories, of course. I want to tell them in like a cinematic way or, you know, in a scripted series way or limited series way. But I didn't want to, you know, bring down other people in the process. That was never my plan. That was never something I wanted to be a part of. And that's been very hard uh, to watch on the screen as well. Because I don't feel that way, you know, I don't, right. I was raised in the boys club and, you know, yes, boundaries were crossed, but you know what? I knew the rules of the playboy playground when I was 15 and set with 17. So if I knew it at 17, I can guarantee you these girls knew it at 19 and 20. You know yeah, I mean? for sure. Give me a break. Yeah. But your intention was never to hurt anyone. And, you know, no, that's a huge my, thing. My intention is not to hurt anyone. I just... I just, um, no, I just, I, I just didn't know that it was going to, that 
it was going to really be so harsh, you know, and really, um, I didn't realize what these other women were sharing about because our perspectives are very different. Right. So that's been, you know, hard to, to, to deal with, you know, because I, um, you know, a is not including me in their press and they're not, you know, including me in really anything, but they're including my content, you know, they're including my uh, theme and all of my, you know, stuff that I've talked about in my book. So that's all not, not the me too stuff, but all the themes and the content right, you know, of the dark underbelly you know, and what does that, you know, my, I write about mini mansions in my book and this whole like underbelly, this whole like system of, you know, housing and fake modeling agencies um, for girls that don't make the playmate cut. It's called the mini mansions. And so they're like all these multiple like replicas of the Playboy mansion that um, a lot of Hef's, you know, friends would would own these big mansions and they would pretend to own these modeling agencies and they would um, invite all these like wannabe playmates or playmate rejects over to live with them and sign them to these like modeling agencies that don't exist. And these girls think that they're given, being given opportunities. Well, episode nine of this A&E series is called like Shadow Mansions, which, you know, of course I write about all of that in my book, right? I mean, it's just things like that. It's just, you know, so much of my content that I've been trying to talk about for a decade, you know, or more, that I was silenced by Hefner, you know, the king of the First Amendment, silenced by him, you know, and and now I just feel like I'm kind of being silenced, you know, again, in, in, in a way, because it's like, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure why, I, I don't know why, but maybe because they want to be the one who's really exposing the story for the first time. Which is not really fair. Right. And it's not fair, but at the same time, life isn't fair and you're not picking up over this. And that's like the coolest part. And it's like so many people over something like that would be like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to, I'm done. I just, I've been trying to be good for so long and this is what I get. And it's just, so I, you're like a warrior. Look at you. You're a rock star. Like, I think it's really amazing because you're making it through all of this. And I'm really proud of you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I want to see you. I mean, really connecting with old friends is what saves me. It saves my soul. And so living in make- Los Angeles and living around a lot of these vultures, it's hard. You know, I feel yeah. very isolated, you know, a lot of the time because I don't have a lot of good people around me, you know, and and that's hard, you know, it's yeah. hard to not have that kind of support, you know, it's really hard. It's, yeah. we need each other. We need yes. each other. We totally exactly. need each other. So will you come back on when you write your second book? Yes, of course. Of course. We're going to keep in touch. So yeah. everybody, thanks so much for listening. And you know, I'll be back next week. And Jennifer, thanks for coming on. If anybody thank has you. any questions, thank you. please reach out to busy at busy living sober. And until next time, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.